Hey, I'm Tim Love. You're listening to Beyond the Plate, food beyond your wildest dreams. But there are a lot of things that you can do. You just got to create them in your own mind and say, I'm going to go do it. Everything that I do is like that. I mean, I, I probably have too much going on, but it's the thing that keeps me alive, like pushing and pushing and pushing. Hey everyone, this is Cappy and you're listening to Beyond the Plate, a podcast where I sit down in person with the world's culinary elite to explore their journey into the industry and the social impact they have made in their community. Every episode we share inspiring stories of what it means to be in today's hospitality industry. This episode was recorded live from the 17th Annual Food Network and Cooking Channel South Beach Wine and Food Festival. This episode is brought to you by our friends at the National Mango Board. I know what you're thinking. Mangoes are so difficult to cut, but they're not because if you go to their website, mango.org, there's a full guide on how to cut a mango. And now that I'm saying this, I think I'm going to do an Instagram video post showing you firsthand how I cut a mango because I love mangoes. The National Mango Board is a national promotion and research organization which is entirely supported by assessments from domestic and imported mangoes. It does not rely on any taxpayer dollars or government funding. Basically, their mission is to increase consumption of fresh mangoes in the U.S. through research and promotional activities. My wife is a huge mango fan. She sends me on runs to the grocery store to buy them for her. I actually literally had a mango today. I love them in smoothies. I love making mango salsas. I love Thai mango sticky rice. I think it's one of the most incredible desserts out there. If you have a favorite Thai restaurant, seek out their Thai mango sticky rice dessert. It's probably delicious. Anyhow, I want to share a couple of tips. Look for mangoes not by sight, but by feel. Some mangoes are green, other mangoes are red. So it's the feel that's going to really determine the ripeness, not the color. You're going to want to give the mango a little squeeze gently, kind of like a peach or an avocado, because a ripe mango will give slightly. Also, many people think they're only in season in the summer, but there are actually six varietals of mango available in the U.S., meaning you can always find the right mango in your local supermarket at any time of the year. To learn more about the National Mango Board or mangoes, visit mango.org. You can follow them on Instagram at Mango Board or on Twitter at Mango underscore Board. National Mango Board, we thank you. Okay, back to it. For this episode, we sat with Chef Tim Love. We actually did this episode as a Facebook Live when we were down in Miami for the South Beach Wine and Food Festival. So if you go to the Beyond the Plate Facebook page, you will see the full interview there. We had a good time. Here's what I was told and here's what I learned. There's Busy and there's Tim Love Busy. This guy is a beast. We're going to hear a really funny story about my wife's first ever encounter with a bacon cheeseburger because it was from Chef Tim Love and it was about 10 years ago or so. It's a hilarious story. We kick it off right off the bat with that. Chef Tim Love cooks urban Western cuisine. He draws inspiration from some really crazy places, some fun places, as you'll hear. This guy has 10 restaurants, five are in Texas. He has a place in Seattle, Knoxville, Tennessee. He does restaurants out of the back door of his restaurants. 
When he has an idea, he just does it. It's really inspiring to hear how and why he executes his thoughts and ideas. Tim Love is on TV. You've most likely seen him on morning shows. He is the host of CNBC's Restaurant Startup. He has a really unique partnership that we talk about with Pilot Flying J Travel Centers, the truck stops, you know? And about those pop-ups, he has one called Back Dough. Get it? Like back door, but back dough. It's a late night pop-up serving sweet and savory donuts out of the back kitchen door of one of his restaurants on weekends only from about 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. People start lining up an hour before they open and they sell out 400 or so donuts all the time. Chef Tim Love is a music lover. He's the official chef of ACL Music Festival. He does the food at Lollapalooza Chili. He does some food at Bonnaroo. This guy is an avid hunter. He's a sports fan. You'll see him tailgating at Dallas Cowboys games, Texas Rangers games, Tennessee Volunteers games, and he actually calls high school football games um, at his local high school where his son goes. Chef Tim Love is devoted to several charities, including Burgers for Babies, which he founded in 2010, benefiting the NICU Helping Hands organization. And he does work with Spoons Across America as well. You know when you think you know someone, you're like, oh, he has this restaurant and that restaurant, and I've seen him on this show and that show, and you know he makes great food, or you may have tried his food at a restaurant or an event. That's how I knew Tim Love, but when I sat with him for the hour or so, I kind of saw this whole other side and learned 500 new things about him, which was awesome. So I'm going to stop here, but please enjoy this conversation as we go beyond the plate with Chef Tim Love. I think I may have told you this before, or my wife did, because the first time my wife ever had a, uh, like a big juicy burger, it was your like double or bacon cheeseburger at like a, an event that Lee Schrager the director, the founder of this festival did up in the Hamptons. And I've never oh, seen her. Yes. Holy cow. You were like, you were cooking on the beach. Yeah. That's and my a- wife downed this cheeseburger. I think she honestly like slept on the bathroom floor part of the, that <laughs> day. But she still talks about how bad it hurt her stomach in a great way because she never ate that. But how much she loved it at the same time. That, uh, that was one of the most interesting gigs I've ever done in my entire life. I'm sure. My buddy, uh, Phil had just redone his redid his house in um, Southampton so I prepped everything at his house like literally I put cardboard on the floor because I ruined his kitchen for like three or four days prepping all this stuff and then we go to the gig and we're, like, we're all excited and it was like a, a, a gig for Voss Water was doing it and he goes oh no we're, we're not cooking here in the house we're cooking on the beach I'm like, it was oh, like cool. steps like oh my like gosh hundred steps down to the beach it felt like thousands right. I mean, I'm gonna say it for myself and then we set everything up and by the time the gig started the tide had come in. I was cooking in the ocean. It was delicious. The, thank you. I feel yeah. like it was like a tenderloin burger. Yeah, yeah, tenderloin and New York strip combination burger. And then uh, we did some tuna burgers. And, and then we had no lights and it got dark. I mean, it was like really, I'm glad y'all enjoyed it. It was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Full disclosure here, you have done work with the executive producer of this podcast, Ian Cohen, on some projects over the years. Correct. Which maybe we'll talk about later in this. But we're here at the South Beach Wine and Food Festival, and you are a frequent participant in a lot of these different wine and food festivals, the circuit, if you will. But what makes this one down here in South Beach uh, a special one? Well, I mean, I think it's gets said a lot, but I mean, it's the spring break for chefs. And uh, this year, particularly for me, I normally do the gig in Puerto Rico with Jose, but we all know 
they got hit by a hurricane and I normally do the Cayman one and this year I took a year off and so it's just great that this particular year for sure that I'm coming here like I haven't seen the beach and uh, it's been very cold in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> My friend was there for work and he like snapchatted something to me it was like 35 degrees but it was a snow day. Yeah, yeah. But it if it gets snowing. below 40, anything can happen. <laughs> I mean, you got to remember where I'm from. I'm not from Minnesota. You know, <laughs> like the funny, like, you know, you think about the Super Bowl, Minnesota is like negative six. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, of course it's negative six. And the Super Bowl in, in, when it was in Dallas was like, I don't know, 34 degrees, but there was eight inches of snow and like the world ended. And so it's this really weird juxtaposition of how things work in the United States without a doubt. But I'm, I, I love coming here because. Hey, I think it's a very well-run festival. I think Lee does an amazing job. And as you said, years ago, you know, he and I became friends and uh, from doing gigs with him. But uh, my wife especially loves this place. Like she, she's a big fan of the beach. And so it works out well for me to bring her down here. And she gets time on the beach, which she's doing right now. Are you guys both from Texas? No, she's from Michigan. Yeah, we met in Breckenridge, Colorado. Got it. So you're the official chef of, uh, was it Austin City Limits Music Festival? What's the connection with you and music? Well, I'm a, aside from being a giant music fan, I play the drums. Oh, really? I had a band a long time ago called Slam Chops and the Mushroom Groovy. <laughs> That was before I even thought I was going to be into food. How funny is that? That's amazing. Yeah. And um, <laughs> every once in a while, you'll find me playing the drums at a couple of clubs in New no York way. when I get real, real inebriated. <laughs> <laughs> I love music a lot. And I had a guy call me about Austin City Limits back in 09, asked me to come down and cook for because the Kings of Leon, who had just really broke that year, the guy who runs the festival, his name is Charlie Jones, amazing guy, uh, one of my best friends in the world now. He called me and called me and called me, and I'd, I'd been bit by the snake a few times on a couple other things. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. He, he didn't give up. And finally, I was like, all right, I'll do it. Turns out, Caleb Followell, who's also one of my really good friends now, had requested of the festival producers that they wanted he wanted Tim Love to cook for him for dinner and that's how it all got started and now I run all of the back of the house programs for them for ACL I do all the headlining bands I do all the platinum catering do you have like a huge like kitchen setup like under a tent so, or no we build we do everything open fire in, in Texas which is uh, one of my greatest accomplishments to be able to feed about 140,000 meals all over real fuel all over uh, handmade stuff my director of culinary. I design the uh, apparatuses and he builds them. He's a welder. And so we do everything over open fire and we have four different kitchens around the festival, which is really amazing. And it's all done with wood. We go through about 40 cords of wood and um, it's really, it's a sight to see without a doubt. And, um, and through that, I've done more stuff. I mean, uh, in two weeks, I'm down in Santiago, Chile. I'm doing all the food for Lollapalooza, Chile. And uh, same thing, and they, they've hired me to teach them how to do it, which is kind of ironic because that's kind of the way they cook. But I'm, I'm very honored for that. Graham Elliott, I think, does a lot of the Lollapalooza Chicago. But... Correct. I come into Chicago, I do two dinners. Okay. And Graham runs that show. Who I think Graham is awesome. I do two dinners for all the partners. And then otherwise, I just kind of hang out. And, uh, and Graham runs his whole show up there. And I met Graham... A long time ago, before I knew Charlie, before I, I remember walking down, I'll never forget, I went to this diner with Graham, he's a young kid, great cook, you know, definitely wet between the ears, and, and now I see all his success. I mean, I, I love seeing that, and we've become good friends over the years, obviously, but he loves that city, and I love the way he takes care of that city, yeah. and so when I go to Lollapalooza there, like, I'm just like a little, 
my new additive to right. the deal, yeah. Is your wife into music? Yes. Because you guys, I, one year we do, Rachel Ray does her feedback event during South by Southwest, and I That's know you right. guys Stubbs. came out one year, yeah. Yeah, and um, so the guys that own Stubbs are the same people that are, are the major partnership in ACL. E3, right. Yeah. I feel like I've talked to a few people over this short time I've been here in Miami about like how much stuff you have going on, and... As Ian says, there's hustle and then there's Tim Love. <laughs> I think that's a compliment. I'm not so sure yet. Is your opening restaurants what seems like weekly? What's your roster right now? Uh, we have 10 restaurants now, five in Fort Worth and Denton. I own the oldest saloon, operating saloon in the state of Texas called the White Elephant. Um, live music venue to Honky Tonk. Uh, we're opening two restaurants in Houston this year, one in Seattle and um, two in Knoxville, Tennessee. It's not, if anybody wants to buy them, <laughs> they're, available, they're available. Just, you know, whatever you, whatever you do on Facebook, message me. We're good. I, I hear buzz about this crazy donut out of Bacto, your spot in Knoxville. Yeah, so we did it in Knoxville. We started it in Denton, Texas. Okay. Uh, so I have a restaurant in Denton named after my mother. My mom lives in Denton. Her name's Queenie. And uh, so I have a steakhouse there called Queenie's. She goes and holds court, which is awesome. It really is amazing. And so we wanted to do so. It's a very college town, Denton, University of North Texas. You went to University of Tennessee? Correct. Okay. So I, went to, I was born and raised in Denton. And uh, so we, I came up with this concept of selling donuts out the back door of Queenie's for the kids. And uh, so we, we make four donuts every Friday and Saturday night. We open at 11. We close at 1 a.m. Uh, we sell about 400 donuts a night. They're all made to order. They're all bespoke donuts. And so... Um, it's become this kind of cult thing there. And so we have it in Knoxville as well. They line up starting at about 10 o'clock and... Two nights a week. Two nights two a week hours. for two hours. That's it. And everyone probably asks you, why don't you just open a donut shop? Because that wouldn't be cool. It's right. <laughs> I make no money on this deal. You know what I mean? But it's, it's, it's just something cool. Yeah. Almost, not, not, I mean, for, for lack of better words, for the community. Like people, it's, it's a cool indulgence. And the food's really, really good. But it's just made to just be fun. And it's not... Um, you know, I could turn it into a business and, you know, that's kind of the natural progression of the way things. And I told myself, I don't ever want to turn it into a business. Yeah. I always want it to be an additive to what the business is. Are the donuts regular? Like so we make like, so imagine a jelly filled donut. That's the principle. So we make the dough, cut them into circles, we fry the dough. And then every donut has ba three basic components, a filling, a glaze, and a top. So we do a lot of savory donuts, which is really fun. So, for instance, we do a chicken wing donut, which is filled with a blue cheese fondue, topped with a hot sauce glaze, and we top that with smoked pheasant, then pickled celery and crumbled blue cheese, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's epic. And then on the flip side of that, we do, you know, like a lemon curd filled vanilla glaze, candy blueberries, and mint. And so they have all these different qualities. And, and the guys have fun. We do a Frito pie donut. Yeah. Do, I mean, it's like nuts, right? It's a great creative outlet for my team and... You know, they come, we do a pizza donut. It's ridiculous. Where do you draw inspiration from for these? Because like, like last night you did the taco event and you had, let me see if I can get this right, ground elk wrapped around foie gras with like a blueberry slaw. Yeah. And a hard shell taco. That was the inspiration behind that is Jack in the Box. Back when I was in high school, we always go Jack in the Box, two tacos for 99 cents. <laughs> They're deep fried with this little ball of meat in the center of it, right? And I, they're terrible, but really good. <laughs> and um, so that, that's kind of, it's my version of a jack-in-the-box taco. I and mean, every chef in the world that I know loves a jack-in-the-box taco. I served that taco in Aspen, and Daniel Ballou was there, and 
and I have a lot of respect for him. I think he's one of the greatest cooks. Yeah. I really do. And he ate one of them and then he, he sat in the corner and then he ordered a bottle of champagne and then he ordered another bottle of champagne. He had like 10 of the tacos. He goes, I don't understand this taco. I'm trying to figure out. Well, he said like, I don't understand yeah. this taco. You know, but. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, that's how, we, I mean, I feel like it was a similar occurrence with him and when he put a burger on the menu at DB Bistro. Right. Like he had just tried one being laid over in the airport or something. Like he had never had a burger here. And then created what was his like foie gras yeah. stuffed burger. With yeah, it's amazing. Like $422. Right. <laughs> I should have sold my taco for $422. Right. <laughs> so your wife mentioned this last night to me when you're home in fort worth you do play-by-play on the radio for your son's high school football games yeah yeah i started that last year it's like one of my can we like can i tune in like or is it like super local oh no no you can tune in really so it's on a it's an app and uh so i call the games and uh it's kind of this newfound thing i've always wanted to do it so when he was on jv i do the pa announcements and so then i this year i said you know i'd like to really like to do the radio and so there's a guy named Ken Buckner who actually does the play-by-play. I actually do the color, but every once in a while I listen to the play-by-play. I really love it. I really, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge, huge sports fan, and okay. I'm a real analytical sports person. And so I found myself, and I really started studying the games. Like, I'd be traveling, and I'd get all the sheets from both schools, and I'd study the players, wow. and I'd study their offenses. And then on Fridays, or probably on Thursdays, our program holds this, like, coach's lunch, and they go over what offense we're doing and what defense we're doing and who, why and how. And then I have a meeting with the head coach and ask him all these questions. And then I started getting more and more into it. It was really, I mean, I, I love it. I That's really love cool. it. And I, I found myself really getting engaged. And the only problem, the only time I had trouble was, so my son was a sophomore. So he was the backup quarterback. And, uh, but he played on kick return, kickoff coverage. Um, he's a really good kicker. He played a little bit of defense too, but when he came in as quarterback, it was hard for me to call because I found I was like, oh my, God, I got to be unbiased here, and I yeah. also got to watch the game, not right. just him. It was really fun, like really, really fun, really kind of heartfelt fun. That's cool. awesome. That's super cool. We're gonna get into even more projects, but what drives you for all these projects you do? Uh, just like fun. Yeah, you like you just have fun with. I always say I walk with a hundred foot circle of fun around me, either get in or get out, and. And I've lived my life every day like that. I live my life with my family like that. I live my life with my friends like that. And I, I really, really enjoy living life like that. I mean, I'm the youngest of seven kids. Um, we, we were really poor when I was young. And we went through a lot of struggles. And, and I've always said, and I said this to my wife, and I'm like, I've already been at the bottom. So mm. I'm just not really, I'm a big risk taker because... I know where the bottom is, yeah. and it's not that you bad. You just dive in when you're yeah, going to Yeah, it's just not that bad. I mean, I, we burned dining room chairs in my fireplace one winter. We were so broke. That's kind of how broke we are. And so for me, I drive forward in life like that. Like, I mean, that, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to beat me up, man. I've already been beat up, you know? And my family's so tight. My brothers and sisters and I are so tight. We can do anything. Like... I can call upon them about anything. They can call upon me about anything. We make it happen. Like our Christmas is like the most epic time for me in my whole life. So that's awesome. Very cool. Is it true you sometimes don't tell your friends or family some of the things you're up to because they'll get like nervous you're doing too much? Yeah, I keep a lot from my mom. <laughs> <laughs> She's nuts. I keep a lot from my mom because uh, she she loves to worry about stuff, and so she's a mom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, but and then you know I and. I always tell them the results, good or bad, but it's 
you know, I keep some stuff from my wife just because she gets worried, you know. <laughs> I guess she'll see that, but whatever. <laughs> well, we talked about, you know, diving in and giving 100%, but what's the secret for that? Man, I don't know. I think it's, a, you know, you just got to decide. I mean, I, I don't know how you, I don't know there's a secret to anything in life, really. You either decide to do it or you decide to not do it. Yeah. I mean, some people wake up and, and decide they want to try to do this or try to do that, and I think it's admirable. But are you really trying or are you just telling people you're trying? Yeah. I think, I don't know, I think anybody can do anything they want. You just got to hustle it. I mean, at the same time, you know, I'll never be the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. I, I physically can't do it. I'm not big enough. I'm not fast enough. I can't throw the ball very well. But, so there's that, right? And then the other side of it is, but there are a lot of things that you can do. You just got to create them in your own mind and say, I'm going to go do it. And so everything that I do is like that. I mean, I, I probably have too much going on, but my, I don't want to, it's the thing that keeps me alive, like pushing and pushing and pushing. If you're sitting down on the couch or, or, or not doing something, do you feel like you need to be doing something? Like is yes there vacation, and no. Is there vacation? So that's the thing. Like that, I, I do, that's one thing I struggle with is actually truly taking a vacation. Um, when I graduated from college, I hiked the Appalachian Trail by myself. And I felt like that was like, my vacation for life. I mean, like I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about my capabilities and my incapabilities and things that make me scared and things that make me aggressive and things that make me like have confidence. Uh, it was a long three months. And, you know, I think a lot of people sometimes, you know, especially people who see me up on stage, like doing shots of tequila and like everything, you know, everything. It takes a lot to be able to get there. And, you know, sometimes with our young people that work for us, I, I try to teach them a lot of, you know, it's a lot of drive. You got to be able to drive the bus, man. And just because you show up, that's, that's not driving the bus. Yeah, I mean, gotta Everybody perform. in the world shows up. I feel like you didn't start with all this drive because like you said, you, you were one of seven and you didn't come from much. So how did this like foray into food all begin? You know, the, I mean, the simple version of it is my parents divorced when I was young. My dad moved to Tennessee. He bought a farm. My dad was a doctor, by the way, a really, really good doctor. And so he bought this farm, 50 acres in Cookville, Tennessee. He wasn't a farmer. He was trying to save money on his taxes. So if you bought a farm in Tennessee at the time, you got this break on your taxes. And uh, so at that time, uh, I was 11, and I just got my first job. It was a paper route. You know, no paper routes anymore, but right. back then there was. So I'd run my paper route and stuff like that. And so then I was like, well, and he wanted me to come up for the summers. I'm like, well, I, I, how am I going to run? I can't lose my route. Like I'm, and it's this big struggle for me a little bit. And so um, for two years, I stayed home and I would go, you know, visit on the weekends. I have somebody cover the route. And, uh, and that's where I really started learning about where I was in business and life. I mean, I, when I ran my paper, I had a lot of apartments. And nobody had ever answered the door to pay for the paper, right? You deliver the paper, and then you got to go collect your money. So I went to the president of Denton Record Chronicle and said, I don't like the way this billing system works because I deliver the paper every day, and then people don't answer the door, and I'm 12 years old, and I'm not getting my money. And so on. somebody said, I don't understand why we don't have them pay first, and then we deliver the paper. And then if I don't deliver them a paper, I'll give them a refund. Hmm. You know, if I miss one, I'll give them a quarter, whatever it is. And he kind of looked at me, you know, and so then he called me back, and I called him back in the office the next day. He goes, you know what? They were going to give it a shot. So I rewrote the business plan for how they bill oh, wow. Denton Record Chronicle. And that was kind of when I started figuring out, you know, just 
try to solve, you gotta solve your own problems, I guess is what it comes down to. So then I started working at my dad's farm. I did that for two years. I went to my dad's farm on the weekends, or I mean on the summers, and um, he had a huge garden that I had to take care of, and we had a lot of animals. We had cows and pigs and chickens and lambs and goats, and I had to take care of all that stuff. So then when I finally went to college, I went to college at Tennessee, and uh, to be a little closer to him, and I took a job, I went to apply to a job to be a bartender, a server, or a host, because I wanted to meet girls, you know? And, <laughs> and then uh, they offered me a job making salads, and I'm like, I don't know how to do, I don't know how to do anything. You know what I'm saying? I can, I can make a badass uh, mustard and cheese sandwich. You know, I couldn't even really make a grilled cheese. We used to make, we were so broke, we, our grilled cheese sandwiches, you put the toast in, and then you get the American cheese out, and you sit on the ledge where it gets warm, and then when it comes out, you put it in there real quick to let it melt. That's how we made I was serious. Yeah. Like that. We had a lot of those. And, um, but then I got in the kitchen and started working, and I was, I'm, I've always played sports all my life. I was a big soccer player. I played all around the world, and I, I fell in love with the pressure of being on the line. It was like a sport to me. It's a rush, huh? It was a total rush. I mean, like, I couldn't believe how much I loved it. The very first shift I had, there was nobody there to train me. It's a typical restaurant story. You know, like the guy was supposed to train me, he doesn't show up, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, but it was an awful shift. Awful. I had people yelling at me. I had a dude named Boogie who ran the, the grill and another dude named Shaggy and Saute. And it was awful. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. I had the best time. I really had the best time. And I remember thinking I made the, this guy's yelling at me for a Greek salad, which I didn't, I had no clue what a Greek salad was. He's like, it's got this and this, and he's screaming at me, right? And he goes, you, you need to put the cheese on there. I'm like, what cheese? He goes, feta cheese. I'm like, I don't even, I'm, I'm lost on feta cheese. I don't know what that <laughs> is. It's 1990, okay? He's like, it's in the bucket underneath. So I open up that bucket, and I'm like, holy crap. Nobody's eating this cheese, dude. Like, it smelled like 14 assholes. I'm like, so bad. He's like, 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 that's it. I'm like, nobody's going to eat that. <laughs> And I'm, he said, just put it on there. I'm like, all right, man. Boogie screaming at me. So I crumble this crap on there. I mean, I was like, I, I couldn't even, I'm like, the stench on my hands. And I'm shaking my hands. I'm like, this is the stupidest crap I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> so, yeah, we get through that whole shift. And I said, at that point, I said, I want to see, see somebody take a bite of this. Like, there's, nobody's going to eat this. They did. They ate it. And now feta cheese comes in non-milky water. Right. And it smells as bad. All right. It was really so. That was your. That was that your, was it, man. Yeah. I found I made five dollars and sixty two cents an hour that job, and a year later I was running that kitchen. And so you have this roster of ten, and probably the next time I see you, twenty restaurants. God, I hope not. Well, you do these pop ups. Yeah. I, wait, you do them out of your office. Yeah, this is one of the cooler things I do. Um, my wife gets mad at me when I open up restaurants, and so. I wanted to open up an Italian restaurant. I'm, I'm just like, my favorite food in the world is Italian food. In Texas, you're going to do this. I don't care where I open it. I want to sure. open an Italian restaurant, right? So, and then back and forth. Back. So I'm out of this gig in Cincinnati with my director of culinary, and we go have lunch, and we start drinking some wine. And said, you know, I want to open an Italian restaurant. And he's always like, all right. <laughs> it's like, all right, here we go, you yeah. know? And I said, well, then we won't let me open up an Italian restaurant. I want to open an Italian restaurant. So we get another bottle of wine, and we can talk about it. I said, you know what? We're going to open an Italian restaurant in the office. <laughs> He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, just in the I have a test kitchen in my office and where I work, and, um, and then we have a conference room attached to it. I said, we'll, we'll make the restaurant in the, the office. The conference room can be the dining room, cook the food in the test kitchen. And of course, he's like, all right, you know. So Uficio was born. Uh, the first pop-up we did was Italian. 
was it one table? In the- no, no, it's a full-on restaurant. So we had 24 seats. You transformed the conference room into the dining room. And uh, where all of our corporate offices are downstairs, an old building. So downstairs, we put a bar, and people come have a drink, and then they take them upstairs. This is awesome. It's incredible. So is it still running? Or oh, did no, you we only, only do it four days a year. And it's open to the public. You put it out on social. Yeah, put it out, we put it out 30 days ahead. Okay. And it probably goes right away. Yeah, three hours, it sells out the whole four days. And it, You and get your Italian fix. Yeah, well, I did Italian the first year, so the next year I did Spain. Oh, nice. And this year I did French. How did people in Texas take to French cuisine? They loved it. Yeah. And it was probably, did you go like pretty traditional? But you, I feel like you put your spin on it. Yeah, I put a little spin on it, but we did a lot of really high prep, very intense, you know, French food. Yeah. You know, like picky stuff. Reducing stuff for yeah, hours. Like, and, weeks and days. Yeah. And like, we built, we did this thing uh, that Hessen Blumenthal does called meat fruit. It's an old recipe from like the 1800s, and he he revitalized it in a restaurant called Dinner in London. And I had it like six years ago, and it was like one of the best dishes I've ever had in my life. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna figure out how to make this. So we did, and it's a sphere of chicken liver and foie gras mousse that has a skin of orange jelly, mandarin jelly, basically, but it looks like an orange on the plate, and uh, very hard to make, long, long hours. But we got it, we dialed it, and it was. Is it, is it like a one bite thing, or it's no, like- no? You scoop it and spread it on some bread. It's really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So fun stuff like that. And the, the, the thing with the Popeyes has become this whole technical innovation for my team. So uh, I teach them how to cook different foods and we explore different foods and explore different techniques. And it's been like, it's a win-win for everybody. It's not expensive, um, relatively speaking. And so it's a seven-course meal with a couple glasses of wine and a cocktail for 95 bucks. It's kind of a give back to the Fort Worth community for how great they've been to me and and a, an opportunity to experience really good food and actually kind of show off a little bit saying, hey, we're not just one trick pony kind of people. Right. That's cool. It kind of keeps everyone on their toes. Yeah, for sure. Where do you draw inspiration for those? Do you, are you, I mean, you're just like, let's do Spain. Let's do French. Yeah, and yes, it, um, you know, the Italian one's really deep to the heart because I love Italian food and my wife and I celebrated our um, honeymoon in Italy and we went back for our 10-year anniversary. We're just big fans of the food. And uh but then Spain, I, I, I went with Spain the second year because I've been, I spent a lot of time with Jose Andres and, you know, just you have those kind of fun nights like, I'm going to cook this food. Yeah. And, uh, Jose's awesome. We, we yeah. closed our season one with him and he did a recipe read for one of his paellas. I mean, it's like, you know, when he, you know how he describes yeah, yeah. food, like your mouth is watering, but you're not even seeing anything. You're just hearing him. Yeah, he's a good dude, man. He's a good dude. Did mom and dad cook growing up? My mom cooked. Uh, my dad did not cook. My dad's Canadian. So I guess that makes me like a half immigrant, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, my dad's Canadian and, or was Canadian. My mom, you know, she had a repertoire of things that she cooked, uh, but was not an amazing cook. Um, I can say that without her being mad. And, uh, and my dad didn't cook at all. Uh, he kind of, I mean, my dad was much older, so it was very, very traditional. Uh, but he had his things that he liked. And he said, I remember I used to make him nut brown eggs. He loved, they called them nut brown eggs, which were really runny eggs, but yet still had some brown to them. And it's like this really quick egg that you had to make on a really hot pan and left running. And, um, I never heard of that. Yeah, they're called nut brown eggs. It comes from Nova Scotia with a little bit of Parmesan is how he liked them. Yeah. And you have two... Two girls? I have identical twin girls uh, that are be 15 in a couple weeks. High school. Do they cook? Uh, they love to cook. Do they? Yeah. And a son that's 16, and he'll cook, but he don't know if he necessarily likes to cook. I've been forcing him to learn how to grill. I'm like, you can't be my son and not know how to, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, there's certain things that, you know, 
growing up in this family, you're going to have to be able to do, you know? Yeah. But, and he's into it. He, uh, he actually is into the grilling bit. He likes it. Uh, but the girls love to cook. We make pasta all the time and all kinds of, they love to bake actually, which, you know, is not atypical. They like all the colorful and sweet things. And with like the restaurant industry making headlines these days, do you have that conversation with them? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. I have every conversation with my kids. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. Open like, book. 100%. I mean, my kids know exactly what I do, how I do it, when I do it, and vice versa. I, you know, I travel a lot, but um, it's it's an adamant thing in our family to have dinner every night. So, I mean, if I'm at home, Emily cooks, and they sit down and have dinner every night. Is she, is she a good cook? She always says she'd be an amazing cook if she wasn't married to me, that's what she says. <laughs> she says yeah, she is a great cook. Is uh, there a dish she, she makes that you love when she cooks? Uh, uh, she does a, a pretty killer, like kind of a, a Chinese chicken salad that's pretty good. And um, she does she loves to do a little steamed salmon with a little, little dill cream. It's pretty good. But she you knows she cooks like, uh, she's learning to use how, how to use a crock pot. My wife Which, and I just way, got one. They're epic, right? Yeah. Like, you gotta, you gotta embrace it. You can't fight it. You gotta exactly. go along with what it's supposed to do. We, we, we started doing crockpot Sundays. Yeah, that's how so you do it. So every Sunday, I'm like thinking what I feel like. I'm like, oh, is there like a ropa vieja? It's like the Cuban ultimate. Thing? Set there, it and forget it. Do you have a go-to crockpot recipe that you guys really oh, yeah. dig? Yeah, yeah. We do pork shoulder with ancho chilies. It's ridiculous. And then we do like um, sweet potatoes and like this kind of sweetness with the kind of spicy. I, I love the crock pot pork shoulder. I mean, you know, we got a million smokers, but like sometimes just the crock pot thing is epic. The pork shoulder is the one thing I haven't done in the crock pot. It's probably the one thing I should be doing in the crock pot. Yeah, it's, it's got crock pot written on the side of it. <laughs> <laughs> so a big part of Beyond the Plate, this podcast is about social impact and giving back and how chefs give back. And I know all of you do in a huge way, but I, I want to make sure I get this right because I read something about you traveled from Fort Worth to New York City with horses and a crew. You stopped at local farmer's markets along the way and picked up ingredients, which you then prepared for dinner at the James Beard House in New York. But you did this again for a series of dinners with Spoons Across America in New York, which is an awesome organization that I know quite well, uh, which was actually filmed for a special. We did that one to LA, yeah. To LA. And and it was moderated by Trey Sadkins. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. How do you pick where you choose to give back? And Spoons Across America, for example, or are there certain causes that you choose to give back to? Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of ways to choose that. But for me, I, I'm, I love doing things with kids. Is I just, I feel like that with kids, is you got this gigantic blank slate to influence and help them make great choices. And, you know, not that I'm saying my choices are the best choices in the world, but like, you know, I think food is, has such an impact in so many ways that we don't understand. I mean, talking about sitting down for dinner, I think, I think if more families sat down for dinner, we'd have a lot less problems just 100%. in general, like an, an open forum of people to speak and feel comfortable speaking. Like you said, well, do your kids know that you do this? Yeah, they know everything because we talk about it. And the way you talk about it, honestly, is at the dinner table. It's where everybody kind of sets down and no phone and like just whatever it may be and like you're just having dinner like, yeah tell me how your day was right and Without so the phone in hand. yeah with spoons across america i loved it because when i grew up my mom made me go to cotillion or etiquette class and you know i had to learn how to do ballroom dancing and you know all these different things as a texan she's like you need to do all these things and you get and so I feel like Spoons Across America and their program of what we do is almost like a cotillion. I taught people how to do a dinner party, which 
involves a lot of etiquette, right? Of how to set a table. I think that's really important. You know, how to serve people. You know, a lot of times kids these days get a little empowered and we're like serving them all the time. It's like, no, you're the kid. You should be serving yeah. us. Yeah. And, and you should know how to do that. And you should be happy about doing it, right? It's not degrading. I mean, I serve people every day. Like, and I love it. And I love serving people. And I think other people should understand it at least. And Smidge Across America, we do a program. We bring fifth and sixth graders in and I teach them how to cook the dinner. And then their parents show up and they got to greet them, take them to the bar, get them a drink, take them to the seat, wait on them, yeah. bring the food that they cooked all day long. That's such a it's great a, program. It's an awesome program. Yeah. And the enlightenment in their face and the accomplishment and the kind of way they walk around with a little bit of pride, it's really great to see. So, and that do, I do a lot of stuff with cystic fibrosis. I, do, I just did a big gig for American Heart Association in Tennessee. Is that because of personal? A friend of mine was, you know, asked me to do cystic fibrosis years ago, and I met their, their kids who had cystic fibrosis, and so I got really involved in it. And then my daughters were premature, monoamniotic, premature twins, like the most rare twins there are. So I got involved a lot with premature babies, and I do a deal called Burgers for Babies, and uh, raise money for our local NICU and but you know and I think it takes a lot of that personal feel that you need to know before you can really understand how to get involved in something I think so a lot of, I make a lot of choices obviously because of personal experience I think everybody else does too but uh, you know sometimes it just feels good to give you know like it's, uh, I've been I've been very fortunate and um, not that I don't feel like I work hard or I don't earn it but you know it also takes some luck and if you're lucky you should be lucky to give back yeah that's awesome this uh, pilot flying J truck stop relationship. <laughs> and I bring this up at this point because I want you to hit on this, but I think you're, correct me if I'm wrong, involved in maybe giving some healthier options where mm. they're normally not available. That's why I'm putting this on the giving back route <laughs> section. But I, I think it's an important thing. But can you explain that relationship and plan? Well, I mean, it's, uh, it's first of all, Pilot Flying J is a huge organization. Um, they're from Knoxville, just kind of how I made my connection with them. I do a ton of business, uh, mostly in fuel. Uh, they're, they are a truck stop at heart, but they're, they're a travel center and then convenience store. And I went in one one day in Knoxville and got some food. So I was like, huh, let me check it out. I just met the guy that actually started it at a United Way deal that I was cooking at. And so I, I got some chicken wings, I got some meatloaf, I got a half chicken, I got a cheeseburger, and two pieces of pizza. I went out in my car, and I ate it. And it was fine. You know, it wasn't horrible at all. But I'm sitting there going, why isn't it better? I mean, it's 2000. This is 2017, I'm like, why isn't it better? And then it kind of hit me, I'm like, well, why can't we make it better? Mm. And so I started thinking about all this, food. I mean, they do a ton of business in fresh food, ton. And, but they're in the fuel business. And I started kind of putting those two together and said, you know, I should call them. So I did. And um, we've, we've struck up a really good relationship and they're on board and they want, they want to make it better, right? The ownership wants it better. Everybody wants it better. I mean, who doesn't want better? Right. Always, right? Even if we make it better today, we're going to want it to be better the next day. Right. And so um, now I'm pushing to get, and even so if we, I said, if we're going to make meatloaf, which, you know, the guys that drive the big rigs, they want a full meal, right? So, but if we're going to make meatloaf, let's make great meatloaf. 
if we're going to make a half roasted chicken, let's make the best half roasted chicken there is. And that's been our attitude. And, and so I'm, I'm helping them kind of revamp using different ingredients to make the food that they serve better, along with a guy named uh, Shannon Johnson, who's their food innovation person. And, um, and then I'm adding some products into the stores uh, for the brand. And so uh, in April, uh, Countrywide released a new peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It sounds very simple, but it's actually quite not. You know, really? So we, Just we, the we're making our own jelly, organic jelly, our own organic peanut butter, our own bread, and we're going to distribute it and we buy a sandwich, $2.49, real stuff. Like, and I think what the big thing is, you know, healthy is such a, a broad word, I feel like, for people. Just good food, right? Just real food. And that's my goal in working with them. And we want to create, obviously, the best food on the highway that we can. But more importantly, we just want to use real stuff. And if you use real stuff, it just feels better. You know, like, Absolutely. Not only it tastes better, but it feels better. Yeah. And, I, and, and uh, I love the fact that they're open to it. And they wanted to. I mean, they're the gorilla in the room when it comes to these type of places. And, they, and um, when they were so warm to the idea of making it better, you're like, okay, this is a great company to work with. And they are. They're great people. Will they eventually roll it out to, I mean, wide? Oh, yeah. So the peanut butter and jelly sandwich goes to 720 stores in middle of April. That's the first thing I'm putting in is a pure Tim Love brand for their, their, their fresh food brands called PJ Fresh. And so there's many other influences, but we're not like glowing them. This is the first product that'll have my name, my image and all that stuff in it. And I'm really excited about it. And I, you know, I tell people we're going to do a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You're kind of like, uh, that's super cool. Yeah. But nobody's doing it. Right. So that's what makes it cool. Like, and you can buy one and put it in the seat and eat it in four hours and it's fine. It doesn't require refrigeration. It's the ultimate travel food and it's, fairly good for you. Yeah. you know what I mean, like it's not the greatest thing in the world for you, but it's good protein, tastes good. And it's the nostalgia about it, I think is really awesome. Do you have a favorite road trip food? Favorite road trip food? Aside from Doritos, you mean, or <laughs> Doritos are pretty darn I good. I always say, and I'd never get these often, but I always say like, is there another answer besides combos and Gatorade? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do like when I'm on the road, I, I really like beef jerky a lot. Is there no Tim Love beef jerky yet? Or? It's coming. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except it'll be like venison or elk or right. something, yeah. I'm a big coffee guy on the road, too. And I also like uh, all kinds of different types of nuts. So we're coming out with some cool nuts. You nice. know, like some like different flavored sunflower seeds yeah. and pepitas and things nice. like that. And I'm working on trying to do, you know, you have pork skins, you know, like chicharrones, which I love, by the way. I want to do the beef version of that, the beef tendons. Nobody has actually packaged those yet, so that's something that's kind of in my repertoire of working. Got it. And you work on that back at home base? Yeah, I work in, in the same place we do the pop-up. <laughs> Which will then, like, a donut shop will be there. And also, yeah, you never like, know. Uh, yeah. yeah, smoothie factory. And, all right, let's cruise through a speed round of questions. Like okay. Five, five or six here for you. Who wrote the questions? I might have. Okay, just making sure. Ian might have written one oh, boy. or two. All right. An item on one of your menus that you crave? Item on one of my menus that I crave? Uh, the devil crabs. Mm. What'd you have for breakfast today? I had breakfast at Jose Andres' place at the SLS, SLS. and I had um, patatas bravas with a true crispy fried egg, which is a just a whole egg deep fried with no breading. <sighs> that sounds so good. Yeah, it was I'm epic. Spicy starving. tomato sauce, a little nice aioli with it, yeah. and a screwdriver, of course. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Favorite Kings of Leon song? <sighs> wow. Uh, amigo. We're at the Wine and Food Festival. Are you a big wine drinker? I'm an American, yes. What wine are you digging right now? Well, let's see. Red or white? White. White? Okay. Uh, I'm a huge Sauvignon Blanc person, so 
Uh, I had a really good bottle, Domaine Roger or Sancerre, which was pretty damn good the other night. Love a good Sancerre. Yeah. What actor would you want to play Tim Love in a movie? Vince Vaughn. <laughs> He's a little short, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> what would you tell your 20-year-old self? Oh man, they're 20 years old. And that, 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 we could end the speed round with the movie and this is, doesn't have to be a speed round answer. Okay, what would I tell my 20 year old self? Well, unfortunately I'm 46 now, so that would make me very young back then. I'm trying to think through all the mistakes I've made, which is a lot. I'd probably tell them to have a lot more fun in school. And I, I had a lot of fun in school, but I felt like I worked too much. I didn't get involved with a lot of the fun stuff around me when I was 20. I mean, I worked 60 hours a week, went to school 14 hours, and I was on the crew team for Tennessee. And so, you know, my party time was, you know, midnight to three. Luckily, they served booze till three. Um, so I would, I would say this to, to back off a little bit, you know, but at the same time, I look back and go, well, did that help me in what I do now? And, I, you know, I have a son that's 16, so it's, it's kind of the same speeches. Uh, he's very into sports and into baseball, and that's his whole focus is trying to get a scholarship to a Division One school. And I struggle with him a little bit because he works so hard at trying to be the best that he can be at those two sports. And I wonder, you know, should he be going hunting with me more or should he be here in Miami this weekend instead of, you know, dedicating himself to the baseball. But at the same time, you look back and say, man, you're 20 and this is what you want to do, man, go for it. Don't stop. That's the biggest thing is not to stop. Like, if you're going to make a commitment, make a commitment. Don't half-ass it. I see a lot of people who want to be something. They just like to talk about being something. There's other people that want to actually go out and do it. So what's next? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to Santiago to do food down there, which I'm really excited about. Um, and kind of a different role for me. Normally, I've been down to see the event and done little things, but this to take it over is a big deal. We've got... Um, I'm putting a new activation at Bonnaroo this year, which is a huge setup, like a whole, we have, they call them pods, now they're called plazas, but we're doing a whole plaza. We're doing the, the food, the beverage, and everything for a huge amount of the campground, which is a new project for me I'm really excited about. And honestly, I'm excited about this, this uh, Pilot Flying J deal. I feel like it's a legacy project for me. Uh, I feel like if I can change the way people eat on the highway, it's a big deal. Uh, never been tapped before from our industry. And I think that's pretty damn awesome. And then I still got to teach my girls how to drive. So I guess that's, <laughs> that's that'll be the hardest thing I do in the next year for sure. Yeah. Well, thanks for sitting down with us, man. I know you have a ton going on down here at the Wine and Food Festival, but it's always fun to hear the multiple numbers of projects that you know you have going on and and the good you're doing and giving back. And I love the the truck stop projects. And I hope to make it out to. Fort Worth or one of the other <laughs> cities soon because those donuts may be calling my name or that nice. pop-up. So Right on, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, cheers. Quote, sometimes it just feels good to give. I've been very fortunate and not that I don't think I work hard or I don't earn it, but it also takes some luck. And if you're lucky, you should be lucky to give back. 
Thanks again to Chef Tim Love. Find more on him at cheftimlove.com. Join us next week when Beyond the Plate presents Just the Plate, a short segment where chefs describe a dish or a recipe that is meaningful to them. I talked to Tim Love when he was at home and he had just made a pasta dish for his family that sounds really delicious. Find me and keep up to date with this podcast across all social media platforms at On Cappy's Plate or go to beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Beyond the Plate is on Twitter at BT Plate Podcast and Facebook. Thank you to our partner, Isle 8 by Flavor Gallery, who supplied all of our signature hats and t-shirts to our Beyond the Plate guests. These will be coming to the Isle 8 by Flavor Gallery website soon. Season 2 of Beyond the Plate is presented by Martin's Famous Potato Rolls. Martin's Potato Rolls are the number one branded hamburger bun in America, and as I like to say, they can make almost any burger taste better. I've been tearing it up in my kitchen with Martin's bread lately. Not literally tearing it up like for stuffing or breadcrumbs, like using it a lot as a vehicle for every single thing I make for dinner. I actually made a patty melt last week that was really good. I put some minced jardinera and some caramelized shallots because I didn't have an onion to caramelize on there. Martin's believes in giving back to their community. They support hundreds of charitable organizations such as food banks, after-school programs, disaster relief, and others. To learn more about Martins, visit their website at potatorolls.com or follow them on social media at potatorolls. Martins, we thank you. This episode was produced by me, along with Ian Cohen, Joel Yeaton, and Sean Petrosian. Our music has been composed by Goldford. As always, a special shout-out to my wife, Katie. Or maybe I shouldn't be calling her out because she may be a little upset with me because of that burger story. Please rate, review, and or subscribe to this podcast on your listening site of choice. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Plate. I'm Cappy, and remember, there are never too many cooks in the kitchen.